come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. How is my beard looking, though? Looking like Jon Snow in the flesh, dude. Is he coming in good? Because Jon Snow has a thin beard like mine. So I think I can pull it off, yeah. What are you guys being for Halloween? Any ideas? Um, I'm still kind of set on being Chris Pratt from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah? You're going to be Chris Pratt? (laughs) (laughs) He just wants to hook up with all the single ladies out there. Ooh. All the single ladies out there. Chris Pratt's not single, guys. At Rob underscore seven six. He just divorced Anna Ferris. He, yeah, he did divorce Anna Ferris recently. Or they're in like no. a trial separation yeah. or something. No, I swear I heard about it. Yeah. I think well. Chris was telling me about it. Anna Ferris, if you're Anna listening, Ferris. Rob, ooh, <laughs> he will look like Chris Pratt but not be Chris Pratt. So. He's, he will actually probably be a genuinely better guy than Chris. Papa's not on the market right now, boys. Well, we Bob Miller would understand. We're live. We're <laughs> live. If it was Anna Ferris. And yeah. we're live. And once again, guys, it's uh, the podcast from outer space. How y'all doing this week? It's your boy Rob Scott, my brother Ryan. How we doing? And my bro Adam. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate that. AKA Mr. A. What do you prefer, Mr. A or the Narski? The no. Nardog? No. The Nard. You got to pick one. It's got to be one of them. Mr. A is preferable over <laughs> all the other. Okay, you will be now he from here on Mr. A. He has a little history with that. We won't get into that, though. Check out my restaurant in downtown San Diego. And last week, we covered the man, the myth, the legend, Stephen King. This week, we're going diving a little deeper. We're going to cover it in all forms. We're covering the novel, covering the uh, 90s miniseries, as well as the 2017 feature film. Yeah, so this is uh, part two of our first two-part episode. And uh, we'll, we'll get into the novel first. So uh, it, the novel was published through Viking Press in September of 1986. And like we were talking about last time, this was the peak of King's drug and alcohol addiction. So when he was writing this novel, he was just blitzed off cocaine and alcohol. Galactically. Yeah, galactically Galactically fucked up. Crushing two cases of 16-ounce tall boys a day. This was King's 22nd book and 18th novel written under his own name. He had previously published four books under the pen name Richard Bachman. Now, if you guys were penning some novels, what were some names you might want to use if it wasn't your real name? I think my pen name would be Smokey Anderson. <laughs> Smokey Anderson? Yeah, what about you? One, dude. Mr. A. <laughs> well, that Mr. is your a. pen name. Max Power. So now why did he use a pen name, you might ask? Uh, at the time, it was, uh, un- it was unacceptable. Like the, All the publishing agents thought it was unacceptable for an author to publish more than one book a year. They thought like the public wouldn't accept it. So, uh, I mean, King, you know, he's a, he's a savage when it comes to writing. So mm-hmm. he's just churning out novels. And he thought, hell, um, I'll use this fake name. I'll publish these books. And he thought not only would he kind of get his way around that, but he would also see if like, 
you know the classic like oh that that's only got published because it was this guy and he was famous at the time like they're like they're gonna publish anything from king you know especially now yeah like he was trying to see if that was true uh he says though his cover was blown before he was able to really figure that out but uh, the novels he published under Richard Bachman were uh, Rage in 1977, which was actually out of print now because uh, some people were saying it was responsible for like a number of school shootings. They found a copy of that book and they thought it inspired the kids. See, that, actually, that's my thing, man. Like I, if, I, if I was writing something so dark or so dirty, like even this podcast, I wouldn't people knowing my real name. I would definitely have that alias, that alter ego. <laughs> Mr. A. Mr. A. <laughs> no one will ever know. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, the other one was The Long Walk in uh, 79, Roadwork in 81, and The Running Man with Arnold in 1982. Uh, if you've seen the movie, yeah, that, that was the only one made into a movie. Uh, so yeah, those are the works originally published under the Bachman name, which uh, actually was inspired by a little band you might know as B.T. Oh, classic, classic. Yeah, actually, in my research, I found, um, yeah, we're, we're just uh, throwing a little things in there that uh, we couldn't fit in the last uh, episode on King. But uh, King is actually a huge rock and roll fan. Um, he actually blasts bands like Metallica, ACDC, The Ramones, and Anthrax when he writes, which I, I thought was pretty hilarious. Love Metallica and don't love them for the fact that they're Sharks fans. <laughs> so uh, actually, I pulled a few quotes from his Reddit AMA. Um, he likes to chat with legendary rock stars about his work. He's a huge Ramones fan. And uh, he said his radio station actually got them to play a concert in Bangor back in the day. He said they put on a great rock and roll show. They had dinner afterwards, talked about Pet Cemetery, and the song followed. Uh, yeah, if you don't know that, uh, Ramones actually recorded the song Pet Cemetery for the credits of the movie, uh, which also features Sheena is a punk rocker. And uh, here's a little clip of Pet Cemetery now. You know, that, that's pretty badass, like having the Ramones uh, do a song about your work. Oh, um, hey guys, you want to come write a song about my movie? Yeah, like that's legendary. Um, King, however, says he is not a big Led Zeppelin guy. Mm. Wouldn't have thought that. He says uh, his favorite band of all time. What are we thinking? Favorite band of all time, Stephen King. None other than... Oh, hell yeah, brother. Oh, yeah. Some fucking classic. Some fucking CCR, brother. He says that's his favorite band of all time, probably, but ACDC is a close second. Uh, maybe The Temptations, The Stones. That would have been don't my even guess, get man. Me. Yeah, don't even get him started, he says. Just not lead. Zeppelin. Not digging the Zeppelin, man. Yeah, not a fan of the Zeppelin. He doesn't like people that steal other people's songs, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, Shots uh, fired. Yeah, and actually when I was doing this research on like some of his favorite bands, I found a list that 
somebody pulled a, a bunch of songs that have been inspired by King's work. Uh, one of the most notable ones I thought was Metallica's Ride the Lightning. I actually never knew that. I uh, was inspired by a line in his novel, The Stand. And if we're strictly talking about it, which this episode's about, um, Gehenna, the famous Norwegian black metal band. Do you have any black metal on your iPod? <laughs> wrote a song called Deadlights, which is actually uh, one of Pennywise's true forms. And it's from the ni- their 1998 album, Adamir on Black. And then uh, I found this other one. I've got to play a clip for you guys. The name of the song is It the Gathering by Savage Circus. Uh, they're a power metal band, and the song's lyrics are essentially the plot of the book. Um, here's a clip from the end of the song. Uh, and here, just a warning if you haven't seen the movie, it's savage. Don't listen to this song. Here it is. Just listen to the lyrics. I could just see a YouTube video with like this song and then the nineties movie in the background. Yeah, I (laughs) just thought that was hilarious. Um not only was it the inspiration for those songs, uh, and countless others, but it also spawned the inspiration for the name of a legendary punk rock group from Hermosa Beach. Pennywise. Everybody's heard that. That's, uh, we just got to take a second and just talk about the spread of uh, the good old Mr. King's work. I mean, that's crazy. Like Metallica, from Metallica mm. to like Pennywise, um, just influenced. And then those bands had countless influences on how many kids, you know? Sure, sure. I mean, this guy's an author and he's influencing music. He's influencing film. Yeah, like that's, I feel, and yeah, like how many other things did his films influence like the shining that's like just spawned a whole cult following on its own yeah even the 90s version of it like has a huge cult following um so i i just feel like you know king rightfully so just one of the greatest american authors you know and he's looking really good at 70 like if i ever hit 70 i hope i look half as good as him yeah and he's still like think about it the new it the remake is cleaning up at the box office he's got the dark tower out i read that like uh, another netflix original is is going to be made from uh two of his movies i think they're doing like a series and then a movie uh they're supposed to come out like later this year i think um like still just killing it you know i once had a buddy who worked at a gas station met stephen king one time lost 100 pounds the next week true story 
hundred pounds. Oh, that's just like his novel, Thinner. If you've ever <laughs> read that. Um, Speaking of, dude, you want to know a, uh, another creepy anecdote? So the 1990s miniseries came out 1990. It hibernates for 27 years. What's this year? 2017. The new it comes out 27 years after. Kind of crazy. Hey, you think you planned that? Been planning it for years. <laughs> so now we get into our favorite segment of the show. Breakdown. Here we go. So now we're going to get into the breakdown of novel followed by the 90s miniseries and then the new 2017 film. So um, like I was saying before, the novel was uh, published in 1987, came in at 1138 pages. Uh, King says by 1981, he had built up a solid reputation as a horror writer, even though uh, he never really thought of himself that way. Uh, He just thinks of himself as a writer. And he thought, uh, why don't don't I write a final exam on horror? I'll put in all the monsters that everyone was afraid of as a kid. Frankenstein, the werewolf, vampires, the mummy, giant creatures that ate up New York and old B-movies. I'll put them all in there. And he thought, how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to make it like a fairy tale. I'm going to make up a town where all these things happen and everybody just ignores them. And this would eventually become his second largest novel to date, only uh, 15 pages shorter than The Stand. And uh, a lot of people claim that this is his most terrifying novel. Uh, Basically, yeah, the plot of the novel follows uh, the experience of seven children terrorized by an evil entity known as it that exploits their fears and phobias and disguises itself um, while hunting its prey and uh, it primarily appears in the form of a clown to attract its preferred prey of young children Uh, bangor maine is where king got the setting inspiration Uh, in the novel the town is referred to as dairy maine uh, and actually, um, Tabby and Stephen King moved there while he was writing it. And King says uh, he chose Bangor because it was a hard town with a real history. And he spent an entire fall just going around and asking people uh, what they knew about various places that he wanted to include in the book. And he would just listen to everyone's stories in the town. Which I feel like that's pretty badass. Just... You know, that's how you get a real feel of history of a place. Just go around, ask creepy, ask uh, people, you know, uh, what happened here? Like, what's the background of the story? Oh, yeah, man. Anytime I go somewhere, like, yeah, you got to do some of the tourist stuff. But at the same time, like, you talk to the locals and say, hey, man, what kind of stuff do you guys do? Like, where do you go? Like, let me hear about it. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, like, who knows what the story, the actual stories he heard are Mm. like are reflected in the book um but yeah so he says like he didn't care about the truth um he says all he cared about was what people believed he only cared about the stories that were handed down from generation to generation because you know though like yeah that's doesn't matter if it's true or not those are the ones that stick with people and um King remembers most clearly that uh, he was walking through the two cemeteries in Bangor and they're very picturesque. Like, uh, think of Silvertown from Joe Dirt. Mm. 
And uh, no one wants you around, Dirt. Yeah, he says uh, he was walking down the hill. You walk down the hill there, and you see the rotten flowers that have swept down in the ditches, and they're like three, four, five feet deep. The stink was awful, he said, and he thought, oh, yeah, I'm putting this <laughs> in the book for sure. The inspiration, he says on his website, he's got a whole write-up of the inspiration for it. And he, he says that he first conceived the story in 78, but didn't start to write it until 81. And it's just like we were saying with the stories uh, handed down from generation to generation. Uh, King's whole philosophy on writing is that, like, he only writes things that stick with him. So if, like, an idea has been lingering in his mind, he, he explains it. Uh, I watched an interview with him. He explains it like a, uh, what do you call, like, the things when you're mining for gold? sifter like a sifter yeah explains it like a sifter and like what like all the crap is the stuff that flows through those are like the, the stories he does kind of right? like in one ear out the other yeah and the and stuff that stays around is what he draws yeah the stuff that from. like he keeps remembering and stays with him is what he eventually writes um he says he originally wanted uh pennywise to be a troll like in the story three billy goats gruff that inhabited the entire sewer system instead of just under the bridge i think honestly though i think the clown's way creepier yeah I mean, yeah i mean we'll talk about just like me. his whole inspiration for that but uh in 78 he says his family was living in boulder colorado and one day he was walking back from lunch at a pizza emporium when their brand new amc matador dropped its transmission um, he said two days later he was going to pick it up at the dealership and uh, it was about five in the afternoon uh, he, he figured the dealership was three miles away, so he decided to walk. And he said it was in this industrial park, like set off in, um, like off by itself in this patch, deserted from a strip of fast food joints and gas stations. And it's on the eastern edge of Boulder. And there was a narrow, unlit road that led up to the outpost. And uh, he says by the time he got to that road, it was twilight. And in the mountains, the end of the day comes in a hurry. He was aware of how alone he was, and a quarter mile along the road was a wooden bridge, and it was uh, humped and oddly quaint, and a spanning stream ran under it. He says he, as he was walking across it, he was wearing old cowboy boots with run-down heels, that, uh, and he was very aware of the sound they made on the boards, sounding like a hollow clock, he says. He thought of the fairy tale Three Billy Goats Gruff, and he says he wondered what he would do if a troll came out from beneath the bridge and said, Who's that tip chapping on my bridge? Is that a good troll voice? <laughs> that was pretty yeah. good. <laughs> uh, he says all of a sudden um, he wanted to write a novel, A Real Troll Under a Bridge. He says all he could think about was a Marianne Moore, something about real toads in imaginary gardens, but the only thing that came out was real trolls in imaginary gardens. And yeah, just like we were talking about before, he says good ideas are like yo-yos. It may go to the end of the string, but it doesn't die there. It only sleeps. It eventually rolls back up to your palm. He said he had forgot all about this, but it came back to him uh, over the next two years. So now 1980, um, he decided the bridge could be some sort of symbol, a point of passing. And uh, he's, this is where he started to think of Bangor. Uh, where he had previously lived, but moved back to write the novel. He said um, the city um, is what became the bridge, 
and what's under a city. He says tunnels and sewers. And uh, this was a good place for a troll. He thinks trolls should live in sewers. Uh, about another year passed, and he says the yo-yo stayed at the end of the string. And uh, then it came back up, and he started to remember Stratford, Connecticut, where he lived for time as a kid. And there, there was a library where the adult section and the children's section was connected by a short corridor. And uh, he decided that was also a bridge one crosses every goat of a child must risk trip trapping to become an adult. And uh, six months later, he thought how a story might be cast and how it might be possible to create a ricochet effect, interweaving the stories of children and adults they become. And sometime in the summer of 81, he realized he had to write a, a story about the troll under the bridge or it would leave him forever. And thus, it, the novel, was born. So uh, a few of the themes in the novel are uh, power of memory, childhood trauma. Um, it's recurring echoes into adulthood. That's like, a, I feel like a really big thing in the novel. Um, and another thing which I think is common in King's work is like the ugliness lurking behind the facade of small town quaintness. I mean, this is almost like similar to the clown. It's like evil clown hiding. Like he lures children as a clown, you know? You think of a clown as like a funny, goofy, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's got those fangs and it scares the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you go, you want to get away for the weekend. You want to go to a small, quaint town. And, and little do you know, there's mm. a clown living in the sewers. That's eating everybody. Kids especially. So here I just pulled a pew... Uh, sh- a few parts of the novel that I thought were creepy. Um, what, and I've got the chapters in there. So if, if any of you guys have the book or want to uh, go check out these sections, um, you can easily do that. So one, I thought these, these are creepy parts that were left out of both movies. And I mean, we'll talk about like why, but I think these are easily the creepiest parts of the novel. So um, the death of Adrian Mellon is uh, from the second chapter of the book called After the Carnival, 1984. And uh, in this scene, it's, it's this uh, gay couple is harassed and beaten by a group of punks. And um, they, like, push the one gay guy off the bridge, and uh, Pennywise is under the bridge and, and eventually kills him. And just uh, both the, the gay love, like, the one gay lover and one of the punks mention seeing Pennywise to the cops, but they just dismiss it. And uh, the way that King writes this scene is just like crazy. And um, this is another theme in the novel that comes up a bunch is uh, is like homophobia, which was like a, a big thing in the 80s. I feel like, you know, you got AIDS popping up, popping up. Yeah. So uh, another scene I thought was the uh, the Black Spot Fire of 1930. Mm. This is from uh, Chapter 11, Dairy, the second interlude. And uh, this chapter deals a lot with uh, racism, and it shows the interaction between Henry and Mike, Mike's fathers. Henry is the bully. Mike is uh, one of the members of the Losers Club. And uh, it shows their time in the army, and the fire scene that King describes is crazy. Like, I mean, who knows? This could be one of his one of those real-life stories he heard in, in Bangor. Um, in, in the novel, it was in the 1930s, and... Uh, he like King does a really good job of just adding like creepy backstories to places that uh, make it just get like makes them seem more real, you know. 
and uh, a lot of thing. And here's the thing, guys. Um, a lot of people forget this, but uh, in the scene of the Black Spot fire in the book, we got a cameo from Dick Halloran, homeboy in The Shining. Ooh. That's like coaching Danny. Like he he can see him too, you know, comes to like save him in the end, but ends up getting murked by Jack Nicholson. Um, huh. Yeah, he's got a cameo in that part. Yeah, um, a lot of King's books uh, have like crossovers and cameos and stuff. Uh, very interesting. I mean, we could do a whole nother episode on like the King universe. But um, so the next scene I pulled, this one easily like one of the most disturbing scenes. Um, this is from chapter 13 titled Walking Tours. And um, in this scene, Beverly goes to visit her old house where uh, she's looking for her real father. And uh, you never really find out what happened to him. But uh, instead, she meets what appears to be a sweet old lady named Mrs. Kirsch, who invites her in for tea. And uh, this scene is actually in the 90s uh, remake, but it's it's not as creepy as King writes it. Um, and I this, thought it was still pretty creepy. Yeah, it's, it's still very creepy. But uh, so... Miss Kirsch in the novel apparently is named after Irvin Kirscher, uh, directed a little film called The Empire Strikes Back. Maybe you've heard of it. Yeah. Are and uh, it's actually mentioned in that chapter in the book. But uh, the scene uh, quickly turns dark as she begin. the old lady begins to uh, transform into like an old decrepit witch and uh, her teeth turn yellow and the house like transforms into a, a house made of candy like a fairy tale and the tea that Beverly was drinking turns into just like liquid shit Ugh. and he writes this like the way he writes this in the novel it's just so like surreal and just extremely like creepy and unsettling. I mean, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah, like just the thought of drinking that. I mean, that's like one of the things we were talking about in his last episode, like uh, gruesome horror, like gag reflex, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, the guy's got away with words. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. And then, um, so this last scene we'll talk about, I mean, this is it's not included in any of the films, but this entire chapter is just hands down the most disturbing chapter in the book and i i think in any king book that i've read very um, fucked up yeah this is chapter 20 uh it's the death of patrick hockstetter and uh, basically this walks through the character of patrick hockstetter and it starts with uh beverly accidentally stumbles upon the bullies and she's watching him from a car and she's like trapped because if the bullies see her they're gonna beat her up and she's trapped and she's watching them from this car. And, uh, you know, they're just like doing typical kid shit. Classic police uh, yeah, stuff, fucking around this fire. And uh, eventually um, Henry Bowers, the, the main bully, uh, the one with the mullet in the new film, uh, <laughs> if you've seen it. Yeah. So Patrick Hockstetter like pulls down his pants and starts giving uh, Henry a hand job before Han- Henry like he likes it at first but then he like pushes him away and and keep in mind like this is all extremely creepy because it's like written from the voyeuristic perspective of a young girl and like the way that King writes this is just so unsettling and just creepy like it's just borderline I, I don't even know how to describe it like you just have to read it and um so like off-putting one might say yeah very off-putting and you get the sense that like it's a naive girl explaining it like that's how he writes it 
And um, then she watches him go to his secret refrigerator, which we will discuss later in the chapter. And he gets attacked by flying leeches. You've seen The Land of the Lost with Will Ferrell? It's been a while, but yeah, I've seen You remember it. the giant mosquito that lands on his back <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. sucks the blood out and he like passes Drains out? It's like yeah. that. And it's the way he writes it. Just imagine a bunch Ooh. of those swarming on this kid. And then he eventually gets dragged off by it. And uh, it's just extremely disturbing. And um, King then goes on in the chapter to explain uh, the backstory of Henry. And... Um, he reveals him to be a sociopath and sexual sadist who at the age of five murders his baby brother oh. by suffocating him in his crib. Yeah, and, the, and then he just goes and watches TV on the couch as his mom's running around screaming. And um, his secret refrigerator that we mentioned earlier, this is a place where he kidnaps neighborhood dogs and cats and stray dogs and cats, and he just shuts him in the refrigerator and just sees how long it takes him to die. And wow. it, like all of these scenes that King writes are just extremely disturbing. Easily the most disturbing stuff I've, I've Warning read. signs of a serial killer guys. Yeah. And, um, this is uh we can talk a little bit about, I think why they left this out of the new film is like, I don't think it works in the eighties. You know, obviously the new one set in the eighties in the book, the kids are in the fifties. So it's like, in the 80s, you know, they would have had a, a proper autopsy of the baby. They would have figured out it was murdered, right? Or, they, or like, people would have realized, yo, this kid's not right. You know, in the 50s, I feel like people would have just been like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> right? I don't know, man. Maybe. And then, um, so, obviously, we got to talk about the sewer orgy, right? <laughs> obviously. Um, obviously. This is from Chapter 26, The Ritual of Chud. Which uh, Chud is, it's almost like a peyote ritual that the kids do in the book when they're going to like defeat it. And, um, but in the end of this chapter, the kids are lost in the sewer and Beverly suggests that they all have sex. And uh, this is similar to the sexual scenes in the Hockstetter chapter. It just feels awkward as you're reading it. And um, it's talking about kids having sex, man. It's always going to be weird. Mm. Yeah. But then again, think about all the child murders that happen in the book. What's weirder mm. hearing sex from the perspective of a kid or hearing. About I mean, it's all, murdered. it's all very creepy, man. Yeah. And uh, it's just King pushing that, that borderline envelope. And yeah, I think he does it really well. Pushing the boundaries. Yeah. And, um, so in this part of the book, it refers to the act of sex, not the evil entity. And like, perhaps maybe they're related, you know, mm. a lot of people are afraid of sex, right? When you're a kid, you, you know, you're, yeah. oh, you're doing it. Yeah. 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 Maybe and, not um, afraid, but you're just like nervous. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you still have that fear there, you know, and, uh, this bridges the, this is also like King bridging the gap to adulthood because this is one of the last scenes that, the kids are in, you know, and, um, and then we got to talk a little bit about Beverly, the dynamic of Beverly being the only girl. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Like, imagine if that role was reversed, mm. would it be the same? Like if, uh, if it was a group of, of girls and one, one guy just, I feel like that doesn't happen all. too often though, man. Oh, you don't just go in the sewer and bang a bunch of girls? <laughs> Sounds like a Saturday night, Rob. <laughs> I meant 
How often do you see a group of girls that are hanging out with just one guy? Yeah, I guess that is that true. Like there's because there's girl, always yeah 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 there's young, always a girl that's yeah. one of the guys, but there's never yeah, a like guy a, that's one of the like girls. Like a tomboy, Unless he's gay. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's that exactly. is true. But he wouldn't be banging him then. No, that's true. Because there is like there is not that for guys. Like a girl can be a tomboy, but a guy can't act like a girl, right? Uh, no. Maybe you're familiar <laughs> with Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, but that's like a whole nother thing. It's not like just a guy that I just want to hang out. In, yeah, watch <laughs> a little Devil Wears Prada, kick thing, back, have it? some wine. No, but and I it's and I had not read the book, but for it's my understanding that Beverly suggests this because the group is like starting to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. It's like a girl. It's like a unity. It's like a last bonding effort. Right, right. Like, like a girl who gets pregnant to save a relationship. <laughs> I'm not suggesting she want to get pregnant at the time, but she was desperately. So she you're saying out the ace uh, in her sleeve to keep the group together. And you're saying, why can't a guy adopt a kid to do the same thing? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think that there is that weird dynamic. I think it does only work, though, as, as Beverly is the only girl. And it is, like you were saying, it's true to what he knows. I mean, like, mm. you, you do see those. It's more common to have just one girl in the group than it is one guy in the group of girls. For sure. And I'm sure King didn't want to write i mean we talked about him being disturbed writing carrie i'm sure he didn't want to write another novel from the perspective of prepubescent girls mm. all girls well, you i know? mean technically parts of the novel are from that perspective though. yeah but only one Ima- imagine if it was the other way around all five of them were girls so now we'll get into the uh adaptations uh the original was uh made for tv movie uh it was a two-part miniseries um, and it first aired in November 18th through the 20th in 1990 on ABC. Lawrence D. Cohen wrote the screenplay, the same guy who did Carrie in 76. And uh, originally it was, it was supposed to be a 8 to 10 hour series that would run over four two-hour blocks. That would be so crazy, dude. That's so long. Yeah, I mean, I feel like but you I, have a lot of it's a lot of material to cover. Yeah, so you have time. more time to develop characters, which is what King talks about um, in writing the book. But um, they reduce it down to a two-part miniseries, just a little over three hours in total. And uh, yeah, the worry at the time, ABC, they had never done something of this magnitude, especially in the horror genre. Uh, and this is also like why so much is cut out. I mean, we have a thousand plus page book that they've got to cram into three hours. And even the new movie, I mean, I think its runtime was like two hours and 25 minutes. Uh, but it doesn't cover the entire novel. Yeah, I know. But Yet. still, I'm saying uh, they did a good job with cramming the child as much of it is. Into, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, that's like um, with visual media, you don't get as much as you do out of like, you know how people always say like, Oh, the book's better. Oh, yeah. You know, it's because your mind is literally infinite. You can imagine whatever. And with, with, um, directors and visual media, you only have a certain amount of things to work with. It's like surface level, you know, it, it always fascinates me because you, if you're reading a book, you're going to see things one way and then you go and see the film and it's like something or someone completely different than how you picture yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, I like I love reading books before I seen the movie because then it's like my entire thing is like shattered, you know. Sure. And it doesn't work reverse because if you see the movie and then you read the that's book the whole time it. you're thinking of the movie. Mm. But um 
Yeah, so in doing research for um, this, I actually stumbled on this book by Benjamin Radford called Bad Clowns. Um, if you just can't get enough scary clowns, go check this book out. Uh, it's pretty well written. Um, and it talks about all the famous evil clowns. I mean, what are some evil clowns you guys can think of right off the bat? I don't know the name of it, but that clown from American Horror Story, pretty creepy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's, is that based off the, like, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Reject, Captain Spaulding? Mm, maybe it's influenced. I'm not sure. Yeah. But definitely can see similarities in that. Yeah. Also, you know, homeboy Ronald McDonald. Very <laughs> creepy. That cholesterol is going to get you, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, I, I think of the probably clown. probably killed the most of any of them. Yeah, that's true. I think of the clown from, uh, you remember the Are You Afraid of the Dark? I think they did. Ruined my childhood with like the blue blood or the blues or whatever. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember that. I remember the one. It You're was uh, Goosebumps. I, I think that might have been Goosebumps. No, I swear. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I do remember two are you afraid of the dark episodes one was the crimson clown and it was the kid had the little puppet in his room mm. that would like be real creepy and then the other one was like the fun house one where it had the big creepy smile and a kid like he, he died in the fun he like stole a bunch of money from the fun house the clown and then he dropped his cigar and it burned down and the kid like smelled cigars <laughs> do you remember that one i swear there was one they're like in a hospital and there's like blue blood. Maybe it was a goosebump. I, 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 I honestly think that might have been the movie. The Are, Are You Afraid of the, the Dark, Dark movie? movie? Yeah. That could have been. Um, but yeah, any other famous clowns that come to y'all's mind? Famous bad clowns? That's all I can think of, man. John Wayne Gacy? Pogo the clown, anyone? It's a real life evil clown. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in the book he talks about uh, killer clowns from outer oh, space, yep, yep, which was yep. 88. Yeah, this was a cult classic. Um he talks about shakes from the clown, which is was ninety one, and this is like, imagine a bad Santa, but with like a clown, oh god, like a birthday clown. It's like a black comedy about this clown that's in a grip of depression who's framed for murder. It's pretty funny. Check it out. Um, yeah, he talks about House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, Captain Spaulding, and then I think honestly this is the most famous clown. The Joker. Anyone? True, Heath Ledger Joker? Or? Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Oh, my yeah, childhood. Yep, yep. I mean, that 89 Jack Nicholson, Tim Burton, that scene where he electrocutes the guy with the hand thing, mm. that haunted that my smile, dreams. Dude. Yeah. That, oh, like very creepers. creepy. Yeah. And um, I actually found, so the Joker was actually based off of uh, Gwine Plain from a movie the man who laughs in 1928 and this isn't even a horror movie but it is creepy as fuck um this guy is he's supposed to just be like a sympathetic character almost like the hunchback of notre dame and he was like permanently uh, scarred as a kid to where he can't stop smiling but he's just like creeping around like watching people while they sleep throughout the film Ugh. and um here we go we got a new segment for you guys this segment is called Just Google It. And I want all of you guys, if you're at your house, listening in your bed. Got your smartphone. You got your smartphone. What if they're not in their bed? What your tablet. Well, then they can do the exercise later. You got your smartphone, your tablet, your computer, your laptop. However whatever. you're listening yeah, to us. However you're listening, however you're watching this, whatever you use to look up images, lay in your bed, all the lights off. Pull the blanket 
over your head. Is this what they have to do every time we talk about this segment? Or no, but this is this is just one of them. You okay, know? okay. Other ones could be fun or creepy. So get get in that bed, all lights off, and Google Gwine Plain. Google image search. That's G W Y N P L A I N E. And tell me that that is not the. Imagine that guy watching you sleep, and tell me that you would sleep tonight. Oh, I I can't sleep if anybody was watching me sleep. I don't think. But as we all know, Pennywise is number one when it comes to creepy clowns in our hearts. And uh, a lot of a lot of people credit him as the most recognizable famous clown in visual media. Did Tim Curry it? Definitely yeah, one definitely. of the creepiest images of my childhood. Yeah, Ruined my childhood. Yeah, so we'll talk about the uh, Pennywise done by Tim Curry. Also, shout out Tim Curry. Uh, this guy was killing it. Clue, Home Alone 2, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Great actor. Tommy Lee Wallace, the director of the original, actually wanted like elaborate super elaborate makeup for Pennywise that got scarier and scarier as the show went on. But uh, Curry didn't want to sit through the makeup session. So he was like, um, yeah, I, I can just make it scary with just the basic makeup. He and, was right. Uh, yeah. He nailed that. Um, yeah. And like the reason that so many kids are just afraid of the Tim Curry it and it haunted their dreams forever is just because like, th- think about it. This was a two-part miniseries on ABC, and it did extremely well. So well that uh, the numbers, the ratings pulled, um, show that this was seen in over 30 million households over its two-night premiere. And that's just completely unfiltered. This is in 1990. This was the first time that anything that scary had been aired during primetime TV. I mean, they didn't even have... Um, viewer discretion warnings until 96, like late 96, early 97. Um, the Actually, the first X-Files show to have a viewer discretion was uh, season four, episode two, Home. Uh, if you haven't seen this, check that out. It's extremely fucked up. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's about an inbred family that keeps their mother upstairs under a bed. And they're constantly playing that Johnny Mathis song, Wonderful, Wonderful. It's like juxtaposed against murder to be like super creepy. And um, this was also the first TV show in America to have a, a TV MA uh, rating on it. And and the first show to be yanked from the air until 97. Oh. And uh, just a little side note on that plot. Uh, the plot of that X-Files episode, the writers said, was based off an entry in... Uh, charlie chaplin's autobiography in a scene he describes as uh while touring with a british musical theater he says he stays at he stayed at a tenement home and after dinner the family took him upstairs to meet their son pulling him out from under the bed the son a half man with no legs an oversized blonde flat shaped head a sickening white face and a sunken nose with a large mouth flopped around as Ugh. the family sang and danced. Jesus, that that happened to Charlie Chaplin. That that became this X Files episode. That's Good a God, that's dude. a very disturbing episode, though. Go check that out. A little bit of a Goonies feel to it. Ooh, yeah, creepy. And uh, yeah, that just goes to like the t- the whole TV ratings thing. I mean. I feel like that's why a lot of kids saw it because it was kind of like you could, it, like, 
it was on TV, so it was just there. I mean, I remember seeing it on reruns. I remember also specifically Rob w- showed me it in the in Blockbuster. It was like the two <laughs> the two um, VHS oh, pack, yeah. so you knew it was long Back and like in the day, just dude. the cover. VHS. Yeah, I remember him telling me about like a dog that was killed in it or something, which I don't even remember that scene, but. I remember him telling me that probably just to scare me because he made up a lot of shit to scare me. But yeah, it just freaked me out. I mean, I don't know about that. Like, do you guys remember Blockbuster? Oh, yeah. Uh, how could you forget, man? Just go in, like, when you're, my, I remember when our parents brought us there, like, we would just go right to the rated R section and, like, try to look at all the movies and look at the backs of them and read them. Or, or yeah, do you remember the first time you saw it? The, the 90s version? Yeah, I think I was probably like six or seven. What do you What do you guys think was like the scariest scene as a kid watching watching it? Because you don't really understand the plot, but just like probably the first time you see those teeth, dude. Mm. Oh, when he's when he bites Georgie in the sewer. Yeah, dude, that show was so creepy. Yeah, I always thought the the really clowns for me. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I was like, "Fuck sewers and fuck clowns." There, <laughs> like, not yeah. going near those. Dude, I, I rem- always thought about sewers like that. Ever since that movie came out. Really? I mean, and we I had the sewer had right by our house, too. Yeah, remember? I never thought of him like that, though. I remember uh, the scene that freaked me out was in, in the, when he's in the shower and the heads come out and it's like claymation. He comes out oh, of the yeah. floor, you know? Yep. That always creeped me out. But, I mean, you watch that now and it's like almost comical. But it's still kind of creepy. I think claymation in general is creepy or like stop motion, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, think about it. This, this was a show that, you know, kids could kind of you know you sneak into that room with the other tv and watch it uh when your parents are asleep you know did you guys ever do stuff like that man saturday nights was always early to bed so my mom could watch america's most wanted and i know not necessarily a creepy premise on its own but like i remember like sneaking out to the living room like oh what's she watching not in like that voyeur way like we're talking about earlier yeah yeah but then it's like dude these are bad men doing bad things to like kids like myself, kind of like it. So it's like, yeah, dude, that kept me up at night. Yeah. I remember, uh, I remember we had a TV, like I had a little TV in my room with like the rabbit ears. (laughs) So I would get basic cable channels. I I remember specifically seeing like my parents watched all those crime shows, like CSI and stuff. And I remember seeing previews for, I think it was like a law and order or something. And it was just like a gruesome, like brutal murder. And I was like, I have to watch this. And like I stayed up that night and like watched it. I had the blanket over the TV so they couldn't see the light coming out of my room. It was a classic. But yeah, like this was definitely a TV show that kids could do because it was just on the air. Here's what I'm thinking, man. Like we see these, I mean, like you said, brutal murder. You felt compelled to watch it. Is this horror genre that we have like, is that something someone has to see in order to visualize? Like, back in the day, man, if no one had ever seen murder, who would know about murder or think about murder? You have to see something traumatic. So you're asking, like, who was patient zero for as far as murders go? I mean, in, in the <laughs> horror genre in general, like, do you just naturally think of the stuff in your head or do you have to witness something? No, nah, I think, I yeah, it's just like we were talking about with King's background. Like, he says nothing, like, super fucked up happened to him in his childhood to make him write fucked up shit. He's just naturally drawn to it and, like, is a good storyteller. I don't think it's necessarily, like, you don't have to see it 
for it to inspire you if that's what you're asking like some of like all right think of like saw or like hostile like i would never think about cutting somebody's achilles like that yeah well some people are more fucked up than you i guess so <laughs> but i mean it's i don't something that that person yeah finds they're interesting. into maybe it. they're I not necessarily like a serial killer but they're like ooh, this is kind of cool to me Mm. Yeah, like I have a morbid Very curiosity. Weird, I like watching documentaries about serial killers and stuff. I myself would never go like murder someone. Yeah, man. Like I love horror movies. Like Halloween, probably like my favorite horror movie of all time. Von Miller hates the shit. I've never, I'm never gonna be able to watch a uh, horror movie with her. Probably, it's just you know different strokes for different folks. Yeah. So, um, back getting back into old Pennywise. Um, in a 2013 interview, uh, King said that he came up with Pennywise as a clown because he thought, hey, what scares children more than anything else in the world was clowns. And um, a lot of people, including Conan O'Brien, say that um, King came up with the scary clown idea. Even though uh, King denies this, he claims he only popularized it. But a... One Pam Moody of the WCA, that's the World Clown Association, says... That's a real thing. Yeah. This is hilarious. Uh, she says that it is to blame for giving real-life clowns a bad reputation and costing them jobs nationwide. Ooh, she says... Most critics are cynical assholes. Yeah. She said, especially with all those clown sightings back in 2016, she cites an incident where a member of the WCA arrived early to a child's birthday party and was waiting in a car and she looked up and there was four police officers surrounding her <laughs> and moody says someone in the neighborhood called in a clown sighting that is hilarious just this lady in her car waiting to do a child's birthday these cops are on her just like it, it's a clown <laughs> This was a genuine fear, though. I remember, like, they were talking about shutting down schools because down the street there was, like, someone in a clown costume. Maybe it was this poor woman waiting to perform for a children's birthday party. But, yeah, like, kids were scared to walk into school. Parents were keeping their kids home Yeah, from like, school she says they canceled, like, they had birthday parties booked and people were canceling on them. You know, that's like, uh, maybe these cops will just start shooting these innocent clowns. Clown lives clown matter. Clown lives matter. Dude, have you seen some of those videos, though, dude? Of Very, like, like the clowns? CCTV ones? Just, yeah. like, out in the middle of, like, an abandoned street. Or, like, just a street at, like, three in the morning. There's just a, just one solo clown looking creepy as fuck, dude. That shit's Yeah, but, you know, scary. it's just kids being kids. <laughs> so, uh, kids being kids. Okay, this is actually hilarious. I have to read this whole thing. I'm going to do it in my best JFK voice. Uh, this is a <laughs> statement from the WCA. The The World Clown Association, they actually released a statement on scary clowns. Statement in full, they say, We at the World Clown Association are proponents of positive, family-friendly entertainment. We believe the art of clown is something to be treasured and enjoyed by audiences worldwide. We bring a happy, joyful, creative, caring, positive, and fun experience to our audiences. We understand that some people enjoy the horror genre of entertainment, but we find that many people are confronted by images of horror characters impersonating clowns 
and are startled by them, which is obviously the goal of these horror characters. In my opinion, these horror characters are not clowns. Even the character in the movie It should be understood as a fantasy character and not a true clown. Just as a haunted house event may have a doctor wearing a surgical gear carrying a bloody chainsaw, people need to understand that this character is not a real doctor. (laughs) He is a person portraying an evil character in order to scare people. In the same way, people dressed as horror clowns are not real clowns. They are something innocent and wholesome and perverting it to create fear in their audience. Please understand, just because someone wears a rubber Halloween mask, that does not make one a clown. The horror movie character Jason wears a hockey goalie mask, but people would be mistaken if they actually thought he was a hockey player. We disavow any relationship with these horror characters. We stand with our safety officers who call for an end to the traumatization of individuals and communities by horror characters in public. Anyone making a threat of violence should be arrested, whether the person is wearing a mask or not. This is clearly not the act of a professional clown. (laughs) Can I just challenge every (laughs) listener to spend... Tomorrow, maybe for an hour or so, just talking in a JFK voice for as long as you can. I mean, that's actually that was kind of hard to do. That was but good. What I gotta say that is, guys, expected honestly, guys. I mean, give clowns a break out there. You know, give they're just, clowns a break. Yeah, they're just trying to be fun. You know, we don't want to put these clowns out of a job. They're really struggling. But <laughs> did you go to clown college? So I pulled a history of clowns and how they have always had a dark side to them. So WCA can go ahead and shove it. Blaming Stephen King for the corruption of clowns when they've always had a bad side. So there was this guy. This guy? Yeah. His name was, help me out on this last name, Joseph Grimaldi. Grimaldi, that sounds good. Looks good. Joseph Grimaldi. Also known as Joey the Clown. Hey, I'm freaking Joey clown the Clown. Over you, here. Know? you know, it's freaking Joey. Invite him over for dinner. I mean, it's a clown. Um, make you laugh all fucking night. Yeah. So Joey the Clown was actually born in 1778 in London, England, and he uh, popularized the clown in the early 1800s. Uh, he's credited as the first clown, where uh, like most clowns we think of today. Um, they're based off of Joey's portrayal of the clown. And um, this guy had serious bouts of depression and alcoholism throughout his whole life. Charles Dickens actually wrote a, a biography on him. And his son drank himself to death at the age of 30. His wife died. And Joey's slapstick antics on stage, like running around doing flips and stuff, <laughs> permanently injured clown. him to the point where he couldn't even perform. So it's like he made all these people laugh at the cost of just his own health and sanity. And uh, at the tail end of Joey's success, this guy, Jean Gaspard Dubrat, also known as Pierre the Clown, became equally as popular in old Paris. Oh, Rob, maybe you can go see old uh, 
Harold the Clown. Yeah, do some Paris, research. Do some research. research I'll there. check it out. Yeah, check it out. So uh, in 1836, Pierrot actually killed a boy by beating him to death with his walking stick after Jesus. the youth shouted insults at him on the streets. And he was uh, acquitted of the murder of this boy. This guy's the O.J. Simpson of clowns. <laughs> this guy beats a kid to death with a cane and gets off. Get what off? is that? Yeah, he gets off on, on the murder <laughs> charge. Not like he's freaking blowing his load over here. Bopo. Yeah. Um, so, like... These are these are two of the first clowns in early uh, history of the so-called clowning era, and they were clowning very era. dark and sinister. And then, uh, you know, just a brief history of clowns. Uh, you know, we got the rise of the circus, and then in 1892, the Italian opera Pagliacci. Uh, this guy was the cuck of clowns. That was the that was the play. This guy was like Jesus found his Christ, wife cheating, dude. murdered her, and um, then eventually very depressing material. Yeah, clown, the clowns have a dark history, man. Think about it though, man. A lot of comedians suffer with depression. Yeah, that's what we'll get into in a minute. But um, so then uh, they made their way to America. Um, then came you know the carny clowns, the clowns of the Great Depression. The, These are the guys riding around in the railroads and everything. Yeah, like the hobo clowns. You know, you see them with like the red cheeks and like five o'clock shadows, smoking a cigarette. Um, then uh, Bozo the clown became like super popular in the uh, mid '60s with the rise of TV and uh, clowns. That's when clowns really took on like a symbol for kids. And then by uh, late 70s, early 80s is when you got uh, Gacy doing all his murders and his trial was in 80. And um, then, you know, King writes it. And uh, this was when clowns became more and more used as the uh, horror juxtaposition that is also familiar. And, you know, this is like the classic clown archetype, just like, you know, Rob was saying, it's like funny on the outside, but truly they're very sad. Like, and, you know, this scene, it, clowns started off as, like, entertainment. Like, Joey uh, worked in a lot of theaters. And uh, it seems to be an archetype for just entertainers, entertainers in general. I mean, look at uh, Homeboy from Linkin Park, Chester Bennington, you know, R.I.P. Robin Williams, R.I.P. These were, like, loved musicians and comedians, you know, and they were really truly sad on the, on the inside. And, uh, you know, this reminds me of this joke that uh, I, this is a version from the Watchmen comic. And, uh, you know, he's credited with writing this, but this it can be found like hundreds of years before Watchmen came out. And uh, it's, you know, everybody's heard this joke. It was going around a lot on uh, Instagram when Robin Williams passed away. It's like the guy goes to the doctor, says he's depressed, says his life seems harsh and cruel says he feels alone in a threatening world where what lies ahead is vague and uncertain. The doctor says that treatment is simple. Uh, great clown Pagliassi is in town. Go and see him. And uh, that should pick you right up. And the man bursts into tears and says, Doctor, I am Pagliassi. But, you know, nobody said it better than my man, Smokey Robinson in 1967. 
Now there's some sad things known to man, but ain't too much sadder than the tears of a clown when no one's around. Were you guys scared of clowns growing up? Absolutely, 100% yes, and I think it's because of that 1998 movie. Yeah. Like, I, I love Bozo at Chuck E. Cheese, but then I saw, like, the posters, saw the commercials for It, and that was enough for me. Yeah. Not a fan. So you would say that It, like, spawned the the scary clown archetype, for you at least? 100%. Yeah. Dude, I once had a blanket as a kid that had clowns on it. Never used it after I saw that movie. <laughs> really? Man, maybe I was just so young, like... I don't know, clown. Like there are, def- I've definitely ran into some like creepy clowns in my day, like that. Maybe like, a clown that's not creepy that you've run into. How about that? I don't know. When I was just like a kid, seeing clowns at the circus was fun. Creepy. <laughs> the one time you went to the circus. Yeah, I didn't think it was I, like I wasn't like scared. No, you just saw them. But you know, kids are like scared of everything. It's like when you go when you go to like Disney and you see like little kids interacting with like the giant. Uh, people in the character costumes like they're all screaming and crying you know like little kids because they just don't know like they've never seen something like that but um i don't know i, I was like never like they're stoked because like their favorite character yeah, i was trying to get their autographs yeah i was thinking of another bad clown what about that guy from Airbud? Ooh, Ooh I'd have to that's see a good that one again. dude i didn't even think about that yeah yeah i mean yeah clowns took on a very sinister tone especially in the early 90s very true, very true. But yeah, what was your biggest fear as a kid? Back uh, as a kid? Yeah. Like if you, okay, if you were in it, what would Pennywise be mm. to get you? To get you. You know? What would he shift into? He wouldn't be a clown. What were you most scared of when you were the kid? Jeopardy music? Here? Yeah. <laughs> Why can't you assholes answer <laughs> come back to me? Me? Hmm. Uh, it's tough when you're on the spot now, isn't it? See, I don't know. I was always more scared of like places than like things. Like places, what? like a cave. Like I, w- I was like you're kind scared of scared of caves. of caves. Yeah, like when I was really little, like or like dark places. You know, maybe Kids are scared of the park. Not necessarily the dark, but like seeing like a creepy staircase that goes into darkness. Like mm. I'm not fucking with that as a kid. I'd be like, yeah, I ain't going down there without a flashlight. Like down into the basement, dude? Yeah, like stuff like that. Like it was a, it was always like a place, not necessarily like, you know, spiders or like something like that. I can dig that. I can respect yeah. that. Or like I, re- I remember being very, uh, I, I was very like claustrophobic as a kid. Like uh, uh, mainly probably because I was one, I remember this specifically scarred me. I was like had a little toy chest. And I was in there one time and Rob, like, he <laughs> shut me in there and he sat on it for like 20 minutes. I thought I was going to die. I was so scared. I was terrified. And he's just like sitting on it laughing the whole time. There. I was freaking out because that is that is seriously like my biggest fear. Like imagine being buried alive in a tiny coffin and you can do nothing to get out of that. Like I was, he was sitting on it. I was like punching the top, trying to get out of this thing. I thought I was gonna die. I was so terrified. Even right now, Rob's got a smile on his face. Yeah, he's wearing the white powder. He's laughing it up, laughing it up, fuckers. (laughs) No, but I was fucking frightened. But yeah, it's always like more of a more of a place thing, not necessarily. Hey Ryan, a one thing. Yeah, (laughs) fuck yourself. (laughs) What about you? What was your biggest fear? When I was really little, I used to be scared that people were going to break into the house. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember that. 
That's legitimate. Some fear. robbers, dude. That's yeah, he had like masks. He had he masked the, like, robbers. He dude. had the like biggest room, the room over the garage. But then I can't remember like what he watched, but he was super scared of those back stairs. He thought bad guys were gonna come <laughs> up and get him. So he like made he like made my parents like switch him rooms. Dude, I was like six years old. That's Fuck a legitimate you. fear. That's like something you could still be. You just of said you were scared of stairs that go into the dark. You would have been scared too. Yeah, I didn't have that room. I didn't want it. For a reason. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. Well, maybe you shouldn't have been sitting in that toy chest there. <laughs> <laughs> so what what do you got as an answer? I nothing scared Adam. Nothing nah. scared you? Yeah. Some I'm fearless. the little toaster. I think my biggest fear probably would have been like getting kidnapped, like Really? Yeah, same thing. Damn. Damn. See, that's like real that's life happening. fears. Though, that, that's what I'm saying. That's nothing like out of fantasy land. I remember. Uh, do you remember that? Don't look under the bed. Disney Channel. Oh, yep. That yep, shit. Yep. Oh yes. Okay. Here man. we go. This is the thing. Where if I was a kid, that it would have been Nosferatu. I remember seeing Nosferatu, the fucking vampire movie. My dad let me watch that when I was like four years old. Scared the fuck out of me. Those long fingers and like when he comes out of the yep. coffin and that they had a Are You Afraid of the Dark episode on that. Shit myself. I actually tried watching it like last week and I was just like, how the fuck was I scared of this? Yo, right, yeah. right, right. It's way different. When you're I know. Like, that's what I'm saying. Old, yeah. And but yeah, Nosferatu, that's definitely what Pennywise would have morphed into for me. Remember no. that one when they uh, when their parents turned into aliens? Wasn't that a Goosebumps when they're at the boarding house? I do remember we thought mom and dad were I aliens. thought it was <laughs> Are You Afraid of the Dark, dude. I think it was Goosebumps, but I could be wrong. Dude, we seriously thought for like a week, like we were like creeping on them, <laughs> like thinking they were going to like peel a mask off and be an alien, dude. Okay. Shit fucked with us. All right. So uh, back to the topic at hand. So now we're, get, we're getting into the new it. Um uh, just real quick, I pulled uh, King uh, in an interview he had about the new it. Um, when he was asked uh, who he thought was a better Pennywise, uh, Tim Curry or Bill Skarsgård, uh, King said, Pennywise is scary in the book. He needed to be scary in that miniseries, and he needs to be scary in this movie. And he is. He said they're both good. He wouldn't pick one above the other. Uh, he would just say that uh, Andy Muschietti, the director of the new film, had more to work with in terms of modern technology and uh, budget. Uh, King says he's not sure uh, whom, who had more, but he thinks the new one did. He couldn't remember what the miniseries cost. Um, but, you know, it wasn't that much because it was a TV thing. But I actually pulled the budget for the miniseries. ABC, though, man, they got to have some cash. Yeah, yeah. That was actually $12 million, um, and that was back in 1990. Mm. The new It uh, had a budget of $35 million. Mm. And uh, which it easily made that back in opening night. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, so now we'll get into the 2017 version. Uh, runtime coming in at two hours, 25 minutes, uh, directed by Andy Muschietti. Uh, and, uh, his only, his only feature length film before this was mama in, uh, 2013. Also what, creepy. Yeah. Very creepy. Uh, if you, if you haven't seen that, check that out. And, you know, um, just hopping right into the new one. The, see, this is the thing, man, is like the Tim Curry, it always haunted me as a kid, but this new one, I feel like a lot of people are giving it a bad rep, but just as creepy as 
the old one, in, yeah. my, in my opinion. Yeah, that's like, uh, I don't know. It's like, you know, Apple people don't. Oranges. But no, no, like people don't like things from their childhood being remade, you know? Mm. So they're just always going to be bent yeah, out of shape assholes about it. People think it's like untouchable. They just don't give it a chance. They go into it with uh, preconceived notions. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I tried not to do that. I was like, you know, it is going to be hard to beat the uh, Tim Curry it, but I think Skarsgård did a, a insane job at the new one. And I Very think the true. new one, I think it was cool, like, seeing it From just be... a different be, perspective, kind of. Yeah, and, like, just be a separate movie focusing on the kids, and then part two is going to be the adults. Like, I Yeah, spoiler alert. This is chapter one, guys. Yeah. And, you know, the biggest difference is that... Although it takes on multiple forms in the miniseries, they did want to focus on it being more of a shapeshifter, shapeshifter excuse me, in the new movie. Um, they also wanted to keep it very 80s-esque, which I think they did a great job of doing that. Yeah, just like King writes what he knows, so he based it in the 50s. They're shooting what they know, which was the 80s. Um, and, and King likes that aspect of it. Um, he thinks that's pretty good. Yeah. Another, uh, aspect they changed a bit is they were not big fans of the 20th century clown. They think it looks a little cheesy and fake. So they wanted, uh, when Pennywise is shown, they wanted more of like the 19th century clown is where they drew their inspiration from, which I thought worked yeah. pretty well. Yeah. Still I think very that's, creepy. yeah, that's very creepy. Uh, yeah. If you actually, um, Another little just Google it for you. If you <laughs> if you uh, Google pictures of like Joey the clown, that's like the getup um, that Pennywise is from, like the 19th century clown. Very creepy. And you know they also did a very good um, adaptation of him transforming into each character's biggest fear. So you know there's like the the blood scene. There's the, the leper guy. Yeah. yeah, there's the um, clown, obviously, Pennywise. Um, I did think they were, I thought they were going to put the uh, werewolf in there because one of the things I actually did like about the new one, I mean, I loved the, the movie, but uh, one of the aspects I thought was really good about it was um, they 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 actually go in the Kneebolt house more, whereas like the 90s one, they're more in the sewers. And um, in the book, like a lot of the, their interactions with Pennywise takes place in the Kneebolt house. Um, so I thought that was awesome. Like they did a really good job at making the house creepy. And, um, but yeah, when they go in there, um, in the book, they see like the werewolf and, uh, I thought they were going to do that in the movie, but only had the leper still good though. <laughs> and actually another interesting thing is the Kneebolt house was actually constructed in a neighborhood in Oshawa and it, actually became an attraction to the locals so uh you know i kind of thought maybe it was just like a set for the movie but they actually constructed the house and even the creepy tree outside the house was sourced from a yard so one of the crew members was just driving past was like oh this tree looks creepy as fuck went and knocked on the guy's door and they ended up buying it having it transplanted to the haunted house for the movie so that's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Oh, hey, let me just uh, go ahead and buy this tree. Oh, hey, I liked your uh, creepy old dead tree. Can I buy it? Well, hey, who knows? Maybe the guy was trying to get rid of the damn thing. 
you know? <laughs> that took a couple thousand. But yeah, that's uh, about sums up the new one. Would you say the new one or the old one is closer to the book? Ooh. Well, um, I haven't seen part two of the new Not one yet. true, true, you know? true. <laughs> but uh, I think in the newer one, I don't know, like both of them, like this one had that scene where she's drinking, the, the 90s version had that scene where she's, where she meets the old lady. She's drinking she yeah. and the cookies. Yeah, 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 it's blood in the 90s, not shit. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like it has that scene in there, which I think is creepy. Like the new one didn't have that. But uh, I thought they did a good job of like the blood in the sink. Um, in the new one or the old one? In the yeah. new one. Oh, I feel like they went way too far in the new yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was crazy. Yeah. I had kids watching that in class and I'm like, turn that <laughs> off, man. That's Yeah. That, I mean, that's how it is in the book. Like it's insane. Okay. But uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think they both do a good job. Like the old one definitely, I don't know, maybe follows the book a little closer because it's like interweaving it with adult and childhood like they're having flashbacks just like in the book mm. whereas the new one it's split into two parts but i i honestly think i like that better and especially like um like them f- having flashbacks in the second part of the new movie with like the kids now you know i think that'll be like pretty interesting to see and i liked how in the old one he doesn't really shape shift too much um i think you only get the werewolf but uh in the new one, he's like the leper. He's that uh, creepy painting. You remember that? Yeah, scene? the painting that the kids yeah. afraid of. Uh, King says that it's was cool. that's actually the scene that scared him the most in the new one, which I thought was when pretty the, interesting. When she's like chasing them down. When he like, went into the painting, like falls, yeah. and he's like in the room. Yeah, that shit was crazy. I don't know, man. I feel like if they do as good a job on the second part as they did on the first part. New one will definitely, and I feel like that's also just in part to like CGI and all the modern technology that we can. Yeah, use I wonder. Like I USA, wonder you know? if they're gonna make it like the giant spider, like in the nineties oh, world, hey, <laughs> or see, like try to do it better. I don't know. You know, I I was, I'm not a big fan of this gory horror film that seems to be ever since Saw. I feel like that kind of started it for me as a theme. Yeah, as a theme. Like I'd never really been into that, and I like how. Like I went back and rewatched the '90s it for this episode, and through the whole movie, I was like, "All right, this is genuinely like in a good way. Like it was thrilling, it was chilling. Like, yeah, it's definitely more like psychological. Right, right, right. That, you know, and because I, he's taking on whatever you fear. And I can appreciate that. But then that giant spider, God bless, you know, yeah. '90s CGI, it whatever you want to so call it. I, I lost it. I started laughing. And see, I don't even remember that scene as a kid. Right, right, like, right. Like that's a testament. Like. Pennywise stuck with me, but like the spider, like. But that's just because he did such a good job at being. That's what I'm creed. saying. So the spider was just not. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but yeah, who knows? Maybe they'll do that in the new one. And I also think it's cool that they split it up into two because, um, just like King with the book, it's like the reason that, like you were saying, as you watched the 90s one and it was suspenseful, it was scary, like you're spending a lot of time with these characters. So you're Mm. like, oh yeah, you see these kids grow up. Like when you're reading the book, you see them growing up and you're like, yeah, like I actually care about these characters. I don't want them to die. And it's just makes the suspense that much better. So I feel like uh, with the second 
the second movie will probably be even creepier because you're going to have that much more character development and mm. that much more suspense built up. Do we want to do a couple shout outs to uh, round this out boys? Who do we got? Uh, we've, been we getting got? Some, we've been getting some five-star reviews. So shout out to anyone that left us a review in the past couple weeks. We really appreciate that. Appreciate you guys tuning in, checking us out. I actually want to give a shout out to you guys. You know that, uh, like I said, the horror genre is not my favorite, but you guys said, Suck it up, take one for the team, watch this movie, and I, I enjoyed it, so I appreciate you guys. <laughs> we actually got, we're now on Instagram. It's uh, at... It's at podcast from outer space, guys, keeping it simple, yep. keeping it classy. Also, uh, we switched email accounts. We got uh, podcast from outer space at gmail.com. Correct. T-shirts um, coming soon. Yeah, T-shirts coming soon. Stay Google tuned it. on that. Bon voyage. Uh, see you on the next episode. Keep it creepy. Thanks for all the fish. We love to hear from you guys. So keep it up. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>